Welcome to the Bowl Season Stories podcast, Season 2, Episode 11. I'm Nick Carparelli, the Executive Director of Bowl Season, and today we are joined by former South Carolina cornerback and current Indianapolis Colt, Stefan Gilmore, Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl Executive Director Mark Meadows, and the Brandar Group Senior Vice President of Sales and Business Development, Dan Barrett. Today's show is brought to you by Sport Radar, reimagining immersive experiences for sports fans and betters. Our first guest was the 10th overall selection in the 2012 NFL draft by the Buffalo Bills and is currently with the Indianapolis Colts in his 11th season in the league. He spent four years with the New England Patriots, winning the 2019 Super Bowl and was named NFL Defensive Player of the Year the following season. Please welcome to the show former South Carolina Gamecock, Stefan Gilmore. Stefan, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate you for having me. Uh, you were at South Carolina under coach Steve Spurrier during a stretch that saw the Gamecocks win a lot of games. In fact, you're, you won 11 games your final season, mm-hmm. which was the first of three straight 11-win seasons after South Carolina never winning 11 games in a, in a single season in the history of the school. Yeah. So you were kind of a part of building something that continued after you left for, for a little bit. What was it like to be part of building a program like that? It was great, you know, like you say um, – it wasn't winning much until, you know, I committed there. And once I committed there, um, a lot of great players start coming, like Alshon Jeffrey, you know, Marcus Lattimore, DJ Swearinger. So a lot of guys start coming and we was able to win a lot of games three years back to back. And um, I think, you know, that's what it takes. It takes for a guy like myself to, you know, pull the trigger and stay in state. And it was great, you know, playing on the Steve Spurrier and doing big things at South Carolina. So you got a chance to play in three bowl games and kind of kind of each one kind of built on itself a little bit, kind of kind of consistent with the theme we just talked about. You played in the PapaJohns.com bowl in Birmingham, Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl in Atlanta, and then the Capital One Citrus Bowl in Orlando. All great trips. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what those experiences were like, you know, kind of not just playing a game, but being in some unique location for four or five days with your teammates? It was great, you know, um, just going to a new um, city been around your team, you know, um, a lot of the events they had us doing, the camaraderie that, um, you know, we built that year, each and every year, just being around the guys that, you know, you build relationships with forever and, um, you know, playing against a different team that you're not usually playing against, you know, that's that's always exciting also, you know, we always rep- try to represent the SEC, you know, um, as best as we can. And um, it was it was a great experience. Like I said, those, the guys that I, experience playing in the bowl games with, you know, I still have relationships to this day. Now you're one of the few guys that got to go on and play pro ball. Many of your college teammates did not. So bowl games have different meanings for different people. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of the, a lot of your teammates, that bowl trip was the final football game period. They played in their whole career. Did you, did you sense any appreciation at that time for, for all they went through and the fact that their football careers were coming to an end? Yeah, for sure. You know, it's um, it's always tough. You know, I have friends to this day that, you know, that, that was the la- their last time playing. And, you know, I really um, appreciate, you know, um, what they did for the university, you know, our relationship. And I appreciate even myself, you know, still being able to play this game, you know, because um, a lot of the, those guys wish they could, you know, be on the field. So I never take it for granted, you know, when I step out on the field. That, you know, I had friends that that would die to be out there. So, um, you know, it's a great thing. You know, those relationships, you know, they remember it forever. You know, they're going to tell their kids, you know, about that experience. So um, I think bowl games is, you know, very, 
everywhere ran and I appreciate, you know, everything they do for, for our teams. So the average fan turns on the TV in December, they watch a bowl game for three hours. They don't, they don't all understand you're there for four or five days, you know, doing all kinds of events in the community that the, the, the bowl puts together for you. Uh, a lot of our guests on this show have great stories, great memories about some of those different events that were really unique that you got to experience with your teammates. Any of those stand out for you? I think the Capital One Bowl, you know, um, was was a great bowl for me. Um, being in Florida, um, you know, it was a great experience. You know, we, you know, South Carolina is it's a great state, but I think just going there to Florida, you know, being in the sun and um, the, the all the events they had us going to the amusement parks, you know, just spending that time that you don't usually get to spend with your teammates for four or five days, it's it's, it's a great experience because. You know, you're always grinding during the week. You know, it's the same thing when you're back at home in South Carolina. But when you go to a, a place like that, it, it was great. And, um, you know, I think all of us going to remember that moment um, for a long time. We talk a lot on the show about how bowl games really serve two purposes. They're, they're a reward for a successful season. But for a lot of teams, they're also a launching point for the following season. We saw South Carolina win a great game last year in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. And it kind of seems like that launched them into, you know, their their great start this year. Did you feel that that was the case when you were at South Carolina as well, that it was kind of a continual building process and that the bowl game played a, a role in the following season? Yeah, for sure. Um, we went, we was able to go to three back-to-back, and I think it, it the bowls got better each and every year. And I think, you know, even though we won 11 games, I think we had a better team each and every year. So, um, I'm proud of what South Carolina is doing. You know, they they played at Duke Bowl last year, but I think they're going to have a great season this year with a great coach, Coach Beamer. He's doing great things down there. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to those guys, you know, springing it to, to win it. Hopefully they get 11, 11 wins this year. So um, that's, that's the goal. You mentioned the SEC earlier. Every week's a grind in that conference. How did, how did playing in the SEC prepare you for the NFL? Oh, it, it prepared me. You know, um, in many ways that I couldn't imagine, it's uh, just playing against other great players in the SEC, like the you know the Alabamas, the you know the Tennessees. Uh, I think the SEC conference is you know one of the toughest conferences in the world, and um, a lot of guys you know able to go to the next level playing in those conferences. And I, I think playing in those bowl games, like we always wanted to represent you know, our conference because, you know, we end up playing against like Nebraska or like uh, Florida State, you know, teams that you don't normally get to play. So uh, we always try to, you know, we used to brag about the SEC, but winning those games was very important for us. You get Yeah, I know you're busy these days. You're, you're, you're still playing and, and going strong. You, you get a chance to watch some college football in the middle of your uh, game prep each week? Yeah, for sure. I watched it a little bit. Um, the more and more um, – you know, you play in, in the um, National Football League. Um, it's, it's a little harder because, you know, now I have three kids and, uh, you know, a wife and three kids. So it's a little tougher. But I still um, watch games. My little brother um, is playing at Marshall University, so I check him out a lot. And obviously I check out South Carolina. And, uh, you know, it's fun watching, you know, young talent coming up. The game is changing a lot. So um, it's always fun seeing college players make plays and, and make big plays and big games. Did you watch your little brother uh, beat Notre Dame earlier in the year? Yeah, I watched it. Uh, he had a key interception and pick six. And, um, 
it was great for him, man, because I know how how much he loved the game and how much he works and um, just try to teach him as much as I can. And, you know, that's my little brother. I'm 10 years older than him. It's just fun watching him, watching him play. Last question for you. Um, you know, we all go through life. We have a lot of, a lot of coaches, mentors, people who have influence on us. What's the best advice you got from a coach or a mentor, or whether it be high school, college, or pro anywhere, anywhere along the line for you? I just think, um, you know, it's probably my parents, you know, they, um, always told me to, you know, treat people with respect, um, you know, never burn bridges with someone, you know, be nice to everyone, treat everybody the same. I know that's cliche, but, you know, I really took that and, and try to respect everyone and work hard while I'm doing it. And one thing my dad always told me, he just said, uh, you know, never be satisfied about um, what you did. Just always try to be um, hungrier for, for what you want to do in the future. So and that's one thing I took to from my dad. And um, to this day, I'm never satisfied until I hang the cleats up. So I still take that on with me to this day. Well, that's great advice. Uh, Stefan, thanks so much for your time. Been a, a great player, obviously, a lot of fun to watch. And, and, and I didn't realize you were in your 11th year until I was preparing for this show. That's all a long time in the NFL period, especially your position. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. And thanks Good for being here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a short break and be right back. Stay tuned. Vapor Apparel has all your game day essentials, from eco-friendly lightweight sun protection shirts and hoodies to cozy joggers and Sherpa fleece pullovers. Vapor has the layers you need to get outside and stay out longer. Plus, as Bowl Season's official apparel sponsor, they're creating limited edition shirts for bowl-bound teams made with 100% reprieve fiber from recycled water bottles. Want to celebrate your team's bowl bid with official bowl-bound gear? Get yours and explore more at bowlseason.com. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is brought to you by Tappet. Understand how going cashless builds loyalty, engages fans, and boosts your bottom line. We now welcome to the show the executive director of the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl, Mark Meadows. Mark, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Mark, you've been with the Birmingham Bowl since its inception over 16 years ago. I think you and I have known each other that long, back to my Big East days when when we used to send a team your way and, and you've always done a great job right from the, right from the beginning, but tell me what kind of growth have you seen your bowl take in, in that span of time? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I thinking back, you know, there, we, we, we had a staff of three people and two of us didn't come on board in 2006 until August. And so uh, Bo Kerr and I came on and, and, and our goal that year, because we knew we couldn't do everything was, was to try to make sure that the players, the student athletes and the, and the administrators had, a great experience while they were in Birmingham. Um, but unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, we, we should have probably planned a fan event because the East Carolina folks and the South Florida folks were, were very excited about being here. And East Carolina started like, you know, hitting on us about two weeks before the game about make sure your city doesn't run out of beer and food. And we thought that was unusual, but they kept saying the last bowl we went to, they ran out of uh, beer and food. So, we did the best we could uh, with our CVB to alert our restaurants to what was going on, but but we had a great crowd and 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 you know we unfortunately did you know some places did run out of beer and food uh, the night before the game. So in year two we we started what we now call the fan fest. We did it. We started the first several years we were in downtown Birmingham Southside, 
now we're moved to the uptown area right next to the stadium. And so it's a fun place for fans for both teams to kind of gather the night before the game in a controlled atmosphere. And so, uh, you know, we've got, we've got all everything that we want, food and beverages there, plus the pep rally from, from the two teams. And so that, you know, that's, that's one thing that, that we did. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, moving, you know, having our game move to the new stadium at Protective Stadium, uh, you know, that was, that was a stadium that was talked about for 30 years or so. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, um, when, when they canceled UAB football, that kind of ignited the city of Birmingham to, to support UAB football, brought it back, built them a stadium. And, and we're kind of the recipients of being able to, to play in that, that state-of-the-art uh, stadium. We had our 15th anniversary there uh, last year and, and uh, looking forward to, to having another great experience this year at that stadium. There are obviously different levels of problems, Mark. And and I think if you rank them, having a fan base come to your city and spending too much money <laughs> might not be the biggest problem, but I, I see how that would cause a little dilemma for people who uh, wanted to keep drinking. Well, we we got the attention we got the attention of the local establishments in year one. They, they believed us in year two when we told them we had a crowd coming. So. Yeah, there you go. They needed they needed proof. Well, the state of Alabama, uh, specifically the city of Birmingham, is a great football market. You look at Nielsen ratings and in the city of Birmingham, they they love college football. They watch it on TV and they embrace it when it comes to their town. How much does the local community embrace your game, and how important is that to your success? Yeah, I'm I'm always amazed when I see the ratings come out and Birmingham's rated many times in you know number one, uh, you know after a weekend of college football and then uh, you know usually always in the top five. So yeah, our fans in the in the Birmingham market are they love college football and they're very knowledgeable about college football, not just you know the teams in the Southeastern Conference or UAB or those teams that are in our kind of. Uh, area, but they are knowledgeable of college football in general. So, you know, we, we've been blessed to have a, a core group of, of local fans, local businesses that have supported our game, you know, since year one. Um, and then last year, again, we saw a renewed interest uh, from that core group uh, as we moved to the new stadium. And so, you know, it, it, it has been, uh, it's been great for us. What have you learned about team and student athlete hospitality over the years? And what are some of the tricks of the trade in making your bowl really special for them? Yeah. One of the stories we, we tell usually every year uh, as people come in, but you know, the, the biggest thing we learned in year one was the massive amount of food that 300 student athletes can, can consume uh, at an event. And so uh, we, we, year one, again, we had a joint uh, bowling and barbecue event. Um, and we had 300 players there. Unfortunately, our, our food vendor, our restaurant that was sponsoring it, ran out of meat just right after, you know, right after getting started on the food and had to go back to the restaurant and get some. So they told us later on, they, they came back to us and said, you know, we, we served over 600 pounds of barbecue meat that night. So, so it was, a, you know, that, that's the one thing that, that we've learned. Um, you know, and then and then we also we have another event that we do comedy club um, dinner and entertainment that we do um, mostly uh, a, a pasta event. And uh, in one particular year, we counted 19 meatballs on one of the players plates as he came out. So so we use those two stories to illustrate to new vendors. Hey, th these guys can eat a lot of food. So be prepared when we you know when, when we come in. So it's crazy. 
Sounds like everybody just wants to eat and drink when they when they come to bowl games, Mark. <laughs> it does. It does. <laughs> a full belly and, uh, and and feeling good uh, makes for a good night, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, so you grew up in Alabama. You went to the U- University of Alabama. Loyalty means a lot to those people there. How does that help you in your day to day networking? Yeah, I spent you know my professional career pretty much all in Birmingham. Everything I've done, I was in the truck leasing industry for twelve years prior to. Um, uh, getting into this crazy sports marketing world that, that I'm in, but I uh, spent the last 32 years doing that. Started out with the uh, uh, the, the Alabama Sports Network, and and the uh, uh, we were host communications, and we also had the uh, SEC corporate sponsorship program. So I got to know a lot of people in the Birmingham area because of that. I was was part of the um, planning group that, that put together the inaugural SEC championship game in Legion Field in 1992. Uh, but then I spent seven years out of state uh, when I was with Southern Miss and Middle Tennessee State, came back here in 2006. And when I came back, and this is just an illustration of, of, of what you're talking about, first call I got when I got back was from, from a local businessman named Joseph Habshi. And he called and just said, hey, whatever you need me to do, I'm in pledged to be part of it so what can i do to help you and uh he's been a sponsor uh he'd been a previous sponsor with me he's been a sponsor of our bowl game uh for since since the inception and he's also a member of our um bowl committee uh he runs our photography committee and uh, we just recognized him as volunteer of the year so so it's it's Stories like that and people like that that make this job very rewarding and yes you know a lot of the people that i dealt with back in the early days have either retired or, or, or gone on, <laughs> gone on, but, but there's still a few that I dealt with back in those days. Last topic here, Mark, as a senior at Alabama, you were a head manager for coach Paul Bryant. That's really cool. Now, as long as I've known you, I, I, I think I knew that, but I never really focused on it until I was preparing for this. Uh, that senior season as the head manager, you guys won the 1978 sugar bowl over Ohio state 35 to six. What do you remember about that bowl experience in that role? And is there anything I'm sure there is that you learned from coach Bryant that you still use today personally or professionally? Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at the game ball from that, from that particular game is sitting on my shelf in front of me. I'm not sure how I wound up with it as a manager. You know, I don't know how I wound up in my car and I brought it home, but it's, but it's here. I'm, I'm looking at it right now, but uh, yeah, I have two very distinct memories from that game. First one, and, and this was, you know, big, everybody talked about it at the time, was because that game was played in the Superdome. It was indoors. Coach Bryant did not wear his distinctive houndstooth hat because he said his mama taught him as a Southern gentleman that you don't wear a hat indoors. So he didn't wear that. We were playing, uh, you know, he, he, he I think for the first time, you know, he really felt a little pressure about playing Woody Hayes because I think it's the first time they'd ever played. So that was that was fun. But then after the game, once we won convincingly, the players hoisted him up on their shoulders to carry him across the field. And I was terrified. I remember being just terrified that they were going to drop him because they didn't look like they had him very good. And he was just kind of jostling. So I kind of ran up behind him and his belt from, from the back. So, because I thought they were going to push him out on his face. So I thought, well, at least if they drop him, I can, you know, keep him from falling too fast. And then I said, well, if he falls backwards, then I can kind of help catch him and, and, you know if he comes back on me so you know we we thought we had won the national championship you know we we thought you know we, we go into that game sitting at number three 
Uh, number five, Notre Dame beats Texas, who was number one. Uh, Arkansas beats number two, Oklahoma. And then we win convincingly over, uh, I think it was number nine, Ohio State. And so, you know, when, when we when we got on the locker room, we were just, we were sure we had just wrapped it up. And of course, of course uh, unfortunately, Notre Dame did what they did to Alabama a lot in the 70s. You know, they, they broke our hearts. And so uh, the voters decided, uh, I think it was the closest, closest margin you know, as far as voting, at least at that time, as far as, you know, the national championship, but, but they, they jumped from fifth to first and, and, and we, we went to second, but, but didn't make it. That would have been, if, if they had voted us in, that would have been coach Bryant's. He would have won three in a row, 77, 78, 79, he won 78, 79, but, but in, in my heart, he should have won 70, 77 as well. So yeah, if you see a, if you see a photo there, of that game, you can kind of see when they're carrying him off. You can see my hand. That's all you can see is my arm from about my elbow up, uh, grabbing his belt so that so that they don't drop him off. So that, that's that's one of my big memories from that. Um, and I think you said something about. Um, yeah, tell us what. To, well, first yeah. of all, that's a that's a really cool story. And and personally, you and I are old school. I think we would agree. I I like that old way of determining a national champion better. Personally, I mean that you think about the 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 mystery and the and the you know, the unfolding of games. And if they, if this team beats this team, you know, we have a chance. I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed that more personally, but the second part of the question was, oh, go ahead, Mark. No, I was going to say, you know, uh, back in your first Brian one, one, like I think it's 65 kind of under similar circumstances. Even they were number three or four. And then the team of the bottom off, they jumped number one. So we just assumed hey, that was going to happen again, but uh, unfortunately it didn't. Yeah. No. So the other part of my question was tell, tell me what you learned from coach Bryant that you still use today. Well, you know, we 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 all players. I was, you know, I was a manager. You know, we were somewhat terrified of him most of the time. You know, but he was he was really a, a great person, and he he cared deeply about his players, and he cared deeply about their life after football. And and so he was always teaching life lessons. You know, in in whether we were in meetings or you know otherwise, you know, he was always talking about. You know what happens if when you if something happens to you. You know how do you how would you respond to that? And so you know he had a quote that that I you know that I've kind of carried with me. He had lots of famous quotes, but the the one in particular is he said, "If you believe in yourself and have dedication and pride and never quit, you'll be a winner. The price of victory is high, but so are the rewards." And you know I've thought about that quote many many times over my career. You know whether I'm whether I'm in truck leasing business or or doing what I'm doing now. You know, when there's, there's been, you know, tough times and things didn't look like they were going well and, you know, didn't know if I was going to have a job next, the next year or not, you know. So I, I, I learned just to kind of put my head down, keep working, believing in what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, good good Lord's worked it out for me. So I'm, I'm glad 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 I, I took that one with me. Good, good stuff, Mark. Thank, thanks uh, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. We're Less than two weeks, uh, two months away from bowl season. So this is the time of year it starts uh, to get really exciting for all of us. So uh, thanks again for joining us. Good luck uh, with the Ticket Smarter Birmingham Bowl this year, and we will talk soon. Thank you. Take care. Yep, take care. The forecast for this tax season, it's going to rain refunds. Lots of refunds. File for less and get more with Tax Act, the official tax filing software of bowl season. Go to taxact.com to get started today. We now welcome to the show the Executive Vice President of Sales and Business Development for the Brandar Group, Dan Barrett. Dan, thanks for joining us. 
Nick, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, Dan, we're, we're certainly in an era of great change in intercollegiate athletics. We could run through the list of, of things that are, that are new and evolving in the space, but certainly uh, NIL might be the biggest change of them all. Uh, it's been around for just under a year uh, and a half, year, but on just under a year and a half. And it seems like we're still a long way from figuring out how it is ultimately going to work. You're an expert on this subject. How would you summarize from your perspective, the first year and a half of NIL? Yeah, you know, it's obviously it's new frontier for everybody, right? For the schools, for the student athletes, for brands and companies that are getting in the space. So I think a lot of it this first year has been about education, experimentation, exploration. There's a lot of different things that are coming to the forefront. There are there are companies that are trying to get into this space. Obviously, they feel it's a there's a financial play as well. So I think there's companies that are trying to get in the space that are new to this industry. Um, you know, I think we're fortunate we've been kind of in this space of athlete representation, really group rights for the last eight plus years. So um, we've kind of familiar with kind of how this infrastructure has worked, but now it's all translating into the college space and kind of a you know, a new format, new structure. So help educate our listeners a little bit. Are there any particular trends? you've noticed uh, so far? Well, I think there's a lot of things, right? There's there's student athletes that are trying to figure out how to use it to their advantage. And then they are rightly so in that, in that case now. So um, I think some of these young men and women are trying to build businesses, build brands and be entrepreneurs, which is kind of cool. Some young men and women are trying to use it as just ways to make some extra, extra money. And um, I think there's just some really neat things going on. And you look at, um, the, the type of things that kids are doing, I think obviously there's a huge propensity as brands are starting to identify how to work with student athletes for um, amplifying their message, um, uh, using them as social media influencers, brand ambassadors, things like that. Uh, we're finding a big influx of that as we're going out to market for the student athletes that we work with across our 70 schools. Um, and the other thing I think that's really interesting is, is the, um, uh, the blend. It's not just football. It's not just the men's sports. It is a phenomenal blend of women's sports, Olympic sports, uh, sports that maybe not currently or traditionally on, on people's high profile list and things they're, they're seeing or following or watching, but brands, um, both on the active use side as well as, as, as licensed product type things are really leaning in to the space with student athletes across all sports uh, that we're seeing and across uh, both genders. So you mentioned student athletes a few times, right? And this is, this is what this is all about. It's helping student athletes monetize their name, image, and likeness. Tell us how Brandar helps them navigate all this. Yeah, absolutely. So at Brandar, um, again, I mentioned we kind of have had a background in this. We've been working prior eight years with the Major League Baseball, NBA, NFL Players Associations, U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. So we've got you know, there's 20 or 30 years of, of experience in, those in, in some of those leagues of group rights or player rep, player opportunities, right? So think of everything from licensed products, jerseys, t-shirts, video games, trading cards to watching you know professional athletes in chunky soup commercials or whatnot. They're, they've been doing it for years. So we're seeing uh, as we've grown into the space now in the last year and a half, um, we started off with University of North Carolina was our first client picked up Alabama and Ohio State and Texas. And then the last um, year and a half, we've grown to 75 schools we work with and represent their student athletes. So we've got over 10,000 student athletes that have opted into this voluntary group rights program that we then go to market. And so we're leveraging their NIL 
in a group bright setting, uh, taking groups of student athletes into Jersey programs and, and whatnot, as well as in talking to brands around the country that want to use student athletes, as I mentioned earlier, to kind of amplify their, their messages, talk about their brands. Maybe it's traffic driving, maybe it's a new product release or things like that. And so again, it's uh, it's very exciting. And so we go to market for the student athletes. That's who we work on behalf of. Um, we work with, we have partnerships with the schools, but we work, work on behalf of the student athletes. So we're going to market for them for licensed products, as well as uh, active use opportunities for the NIL. So this podcast is all about storytelling. So are there any specific success, success stories that you'd like to share? Yeah, I think, you know, the, like I mentioned earlier, the, one of the neatest things I think we've seen is the interest for men's and women's sports, especially on the women's side. Women have done a really good job with their social media platforms and TikToks and, and Instagrams, but they're really uh, intriguing opt-in for that. And I think the other thing we're interested in, as we see as things have developed here and brands get more educated and more comfortable is the type of brands that are interested in coming into college athletics and using college athletes as uh, in these different mediums. So not whether it's the licensees and licensed product side, we've got 70 licensees, national licensees that are putting product in market. Um, so we're seeing a big influx in that. I said, uh, I would tell you that, you know, when it comes to the brands, we got brands that have never spent money in college sports that we're talking to, which is neat. Um, one of the more kind of recent things we just came out with, the uh, just launched was a uh, Wrangler program through Wrangler Jeans and their, pro and their offerings with in conjunction with the University of Texas, which is one of the schools I referenced earlier. Texas uh, athletes were wanted to be used by the Wrangler in an authentic, organic kind of way. We uh, identified eight student athletes. Uh, four of them were used as models for some of their apparel. It's a co-branded, uh, licensed Wrangler apparel that's shared with the uh, Texas Marks. Um, we use four as, as uh, models, and then there's another four student athletes across multiple sports that were then brand ambassadors and helped amplify the message through social media. Cool thing about that, even before the, the, brand, the brand campaign launched, the buzz from it was amazing. We had over 240 million impressions that were generated through the PR, um, $2.5 million, $2 million in media value, and over 170 stories that covered it. So it was really cool to see the media embrace something that was really cool, authentic, organic. Um, you know, Quinn Ewers, their starting quarterback, was one of the featured athletes in there. Quinn has never worn anything but Wrangler jeans his entire life. And so when we are able to identify that and, and, and kind of recognize that, he was all in and leaned into it really well. So things like that are really neat. Um, I mentioned the adoption of brands doing different things. And then we've seen some really neat partnerships develop um, with the folks like at Fishbait Marketing that we're working with on some of their uh, um, allies and their partnerships across the board and being able to source student athletes for some of their brand partnerships uh, back through us. So we're working on programs like that. Um, there's a few collectives that we've talked to about how to how to build some opportunities as they're trying to find ways to um, leverage back to the student athletes and use the student athletes for different campaigns and programs. So a lot of that's going on and it's uh, it's fun to watch. It's a, like I said, it's a new frontier. Um, I hear a lot of people talk about the Wild Wild West. I don't think we really look at it that way. We, we really love the lane we're in, but we really love what brands and the student athletes, how everybody, the ones that are embracing it are really relishing from it. And it's young. It's an immature market right now. It, from a licensed product standpoint, it's probably 10 to 15% of its maturity and things will develop, you know, as supply chains kind of get refilled and things start getting, as things continue to get back to normal, I think we'll see a lot of upside on different product alignment that are in markets on, you know, in store 
online. You know, we've got a lot of adoption from, you know, the local campus bookstores on campus, the Dick's Sporting Goods, big high profile retailers like that, Rally House. So there's a, there's an influx and, and fans are able to now have access to probably product they've never been able to buy before and have their favorite athletes from their favorite teams, uh, names, numbers, and jerseys and all different types of products in market they can go acquire. Well, it certainly is an exciting time, Dan. I don't, I, I think we're just scratching the surface of, of, of what we're, what we're doing now. And it'll be exciting to see how it evolves. Uh, thanks for your time today. Thanks for your partnership. We're really going to lean into you in the upcoming months and years to help keep us on top of uh, this evolving space. And we appreciate your time and thanks for being on the show. Absolutely. Nick. Thanks. And thanks for all you do. We appreciate you. And thanks to all of you for listening to this week's bowl season stories podcast. Please join us next week when we will welcome another lineup of great guests. If you like the show, we'd appreciate you dropping a five-star rating for the podcast. And as always, you can follow all the podcast and bowl season news on our website, bowlseason.com and on social media at bowl season. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.